Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. For me, it's 8.30 Toronto time. Uh, Sensei Dofa, what time is it for you tonight? Uh, 5.30. We love it. Um, it. We can chat during the introductions, but they're over there on the West Coast. And it just, it excites me to say the time each time because I love that we're traveling with this show now. You know, we started in COVID and nobody could travel to different time zones. So it's so exciting that we're still going and that you're still here with us during this. And so... Um, it's it's real nice to see, and uh, I'm really excited to chat tonight, and we're going to jump right in with Sensei Dave Kovar, and I've got a question for you, Sensei, based on, you know, a bit of research I did, which is, um, it says on one of your websites that for you, it's martial arts first, instructing second, business third, and I want to ask you what that means to you. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I This is... Uh... I've uh, been doing martial arts a long time. I opened up my first school about six months out of high school in November 1978. So this is my 45th year of having a school full time. And it's been interesting to see all the trends that have happened. But what, what I've noticed is when people put the business first that are professionals, that all of a sudden that that's their main thing. Uh, and then they put the teaching second and somewhere third, oh yeah, I'm a martial artist. That it's very hard to have any long-term success. So it, it, for me, it always starts out with martial arts first. And what I mean by that is that to do the best you can to live the lifestyle. You know, you're not doing it because, you know, I could I could sell cars or I could I could be an insurance breaker. Oh, let me try martial arts. No, it's because it's your passion and you love it. And and that you can't just have loved it one time. It's kind of like it's something that you've got, you know, you, you've got to renew by keeping an interest in it, right? And and uh, and so as you age, of course, your body you changes, your training methods change, but you still live in the lifestyle. You're still kind of aspiring to be to the next level. And I think that's half the job of being a good teacher. Because I don't know about you, but if but if I've ever been to a seminar or some weekend training, I come back to class and I got all these cool drills, or I'm inspired, you know, because of what I learned. Everything about my class is better. Even the way I bow on the mat is better because, you know, because I'm, I'm feeling it. Right. And so that's half the job of being a good teacher is being a passionate martial arts, not all of the job, but part of it. And then half the job of running a successful martial arts school is being a good teacher. We forget that if, if, if there's so many people have so many things they can be do with their time and effort. And, and if, if our floors aren't rocking, we're not going to keep people training. And Stephen Covey had a quote and went like this, you can't talk yourself out of a situation you behave yourself into. And what that basically means is there's no way you're going to keep somebody from training, uh, keep someone from quitting training in martial arts if your classes aren't rock solid, if you're not passionate about it. So that's kind of the intention between martial arts first, teaching second, business third. That's kind of the mindset there. I absolutely love that. I want to throw that to you, Sensei Suino. We've talked about this kind of thing on the show. Do you like that martial arts teaching business? Does that order work for you? Uh, well, it's the same reason I got into it, right? Um, yeah, well, I got into the business. I've been in doing, I had been doing martial arts for years, went to Tokyo, trained over there for four years, came back, couldn't find a dojo I liked. I just couldn't find anything that matched what I had in Japan. So I started a school then, and I'd be honest, I sucked at it. Sucked at it for a long time. Uh, it's been it's been a number of years and I've kind of figured it out, but uh, uh, till still to this day, it's more important to me to be able to train, to learn, uh, to work with other martial artists. Um, and although my martial arts business is going very well, I still consider that, yeah, probably third. That's probably a, a good place to put it. What about you, Hanshi Legacy? Let's go to you on that. Sensei Kovar's ideas, martial arts, instructing, business, does that order work for you? Well, what I would think is um, simply you have to have a good product to be a good salesman, right? That sort of helps along with it. So <clears throat> like Sensei says, 
if you had a good martial arts instructors, a good solid school, and the main thing you look at is not the sensei, but the students, and you see that they are turn out, turning out a fine product there that, uh, that will help you along with everything else for sure. You know, it's funny you say that, Hanshi. Like, see, I remember when I joined, I looked at you for the first night and I looked at all the black belts for the next three demo nights. And I was like, he didn't teach himself, he taught them. So I want to see what they're doing. And they were all excellent. And that's why I joined. Um, Sensei Dolphin, what do you think? On the business side, I'm late coming to the game. I, I think I've always had a business acumen, but, uh, you know, I, my order of operations that I learned from my teachers is always, you know, what is good for the martial arts, make that decision. What is good for your association, make that decision. What is good for your students, make that decision and put yourself number four on that list of priorities. As I've gotten, I sense legacy was just saying, I think that's a drop the mic thing, right? You got to have a good product to sell a good product, right? Like um, that's period. I'm just kind of getting into now, how do you sell this good product that we have, right? This good martial arts product that we have, how do we, how do we get that out? And the more I delve into that, keeping that order of operations clear, the more the dojo seems to grow, the martial arts seems to be good and solid. You know, the community is really strong. The core membership is really good. Those people who love each other and interact with each other and help each other, that's really a good thing that's happening now. Um, yeah, and I guess the last thing I'd say, Sean, is um, I don't think any dojo that's based on just transactional business is a good dojo. Mm -hmm. Like if it's just you pay me and then if you pay me, I have to give you something. I don't think that's a good model for martial arts business, personally. Yep. But it, as I said, I'm new to it, so I well, tend to be you know, I'm even newer, Sensei Dauphin, so I'm asking on our behalf and whoever else might, you know, if there's people who are growing Sensei Kovar, a business, and they're a little newer at it. You know, my club in Toronto is even newer than Sensei Dauphin's talking about. What advice would you give to make that business, number three, the strongest? Obviously, you know, again, your martial arts got to be great after yeah. have, have teachers, but how are you going to reach people in your community in a way that's more effective than the other dude at the strip mall? Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question. So first, obviously, the product has to be top notch. You have to be doing it with the right intentions because people see through that pretty quickly. You know, there's no there's no doubt, you know, people, their gut instinct is often correct with that. So but then you got to be really willing to work hard. You know, in the old days, there was a time in the late 80s and early 90s, and I can bring you through kind of my perspective of the history of the martial arts business. I'd be happy to talk about it. That would shed some light on this, but you didn't have to work very hard to get the phone to ring, you know, to get people to come in. There was the supply and demand was completely different than it is now. And it's still a great time to be in the martial arts industry, but you have to work really hard. You have to, you know, on top of having a great product, you got to know how to ask and where to go to generate new members and, and what to do to keep them. And, and, and uh, so at the end of the day, it's really, when you first get started, you only really have to work half days. The first 12 hours, the second 12 hours, you know, and, and so many people, so many people that run a martial arts school, they, they'll show up, uh, you know, at, at 345, you know, clean the dojo real quick for a four o'clock class. And at eight o'clock, they're out the door and they're wondering why it isn't growing. There's, you know, there's, we break it into three areas. There's, there's prep time, prime time, premium time. And, and, and when you're running a dojo, premium time when it's all hands on deck, that's when you're packed. 
right? And everybody, the whole point is to service your students, be on the floor for your students. Prime time is when you're open, but maybe there's a little room for one of the instructors to, to, to chat with a student about enrolling or to you know sell a mouthpiece or something like that. Um, and that, that those are always really clear, but the prep time is what makes the difference. And that's all the things you do from, yeah, hey, I've been doing this for 45 years. I, I was in the office at 7.15 this morning. You know what I'm saying? It's just what I do. And, and then I, I make really good use of my days doing all the things that are going to set me up to make the, the evening classes successful. You know, what I love so much about this is you're talking about business. And as we talked about in the preamble, I'm doing a competition next week. That just totally applied to my competition training, not running a business. I love the way these answers work. Um, I do actually want to get in. I already have it written down, but not right now to your journey. And what you have experienced, 70s, 80s, 90s, and onward. But before we get to the introductions, there's one last little button I want to put on this big concept, which is that it's really important for you to have an ethical, you know, that's on your site a number of times. What does that mean for you to be teaching ethically, to be offering schools ethically? So I think the only way to do good business is to do good business. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, you want to be successful, treat people right. You, if you cut corners, you can get some short-term success, but I don't know anybody. And of course, I don't know any other industries really very well. This is what I know, right? But I've seen the industry where there's some guys that was killing it. And you heard about this guy that was making all this money selling more, you know, lessons and yada, yada, yada. Guess what? Three years later, he's gone. You don't hear, never to be heard from again, because he wasn't, you know, he was basically putting his, he was leading with the, with his, uh, you know, worrying about what it was going to be his bank account. And by the way, you got to make a profit to be in business. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with making a profit to be in business, but the whole idea is it's slow and steady wins the race. And when like, like for an example of ethical businesses is that we do never do hard sales. And, you know, and I'm not saying it's, there's nothing wrong with giving someone an offer to get them to enroll today, you know, give them some incentive. You know, I get it. I just don't do it. Someone comes in, if they want to talk to their husband or wife, go for it, man. Am I that? worried that you're not going to come back that i'm going to kind of you know so we try to make our product so good that it speaks for itself and then we we get we charge a fair price and we're not cheap we're not cheap at all but then we get them and keep them we don't do upgrades you know we once you get in the program our goal is to keep you training as long as possible end of story and and so uh uh we we try to make sure that uh, I never want to come off uh, salesish or gimmickish. You know, I, I want to come off as uh, you know. I sincerely believe in what we do, and I I'm actually teaching grandkids of people I taught as kids now. You know, third generations, right? And it's really interesting to see the perspective when people come back as adults and say. Mr. Culver, let me tell you, I, now that I've had a chance to, I trained with you for 10 years through school, and let me tell you what it did for me and how it shaped my life. I haven't heard that once or twice or a dozen times. I've heard that a hundred times and enough to where I know at my core. And, and that, that means something to me. And I'd much rather make, uh, uh, you know, a, a dollar, how do I say this, every day, uh, uh, you know, forever versus uh, uh, $100 a day one day and nothing after that because I push too hard. You know what I'm saying? In the long term, you, you know, it's a better, you, you can make a really good living teaching martial arts uh, um, and you don't have to be slick. You know, you know, just teach really good quality martial arts. By the way, you have, there's so many business systems that we can go into that you have to do. You know, you call people when they don't show up. You know, you, you, you set their expectations. You, you give them feedback on what they're doing well and how they can improve. And, you know, all those kind of stuff, you have to do that as well. But right. it, it, at the end of the day, your intentions have to be in line with what, what the student needs. I love that. And, you know, it's funny because I'm working with a coach right now. 
and he hit a possible limit with the guy he was working with and tried a new guy. And the old guy gave him the hard sell, said, you need to decide right now for life if you're with me or not. And he went to the new coach and the new coach said, come with me or not, but take a month to decide this is really important for you. And that other coach is very good. So the guy's like, one guy's pressuring me and trying to make me feel fear of loss and, and sign on the dotted line today. And the other guy's saying, you need to consider what's best for you and take your time. And he goes, so obviously I went with that guy. And he ended up being very happy with the decision. But I love what you're talking about in terms of ethics and, and people need a chance to walk away and come back and not feel like they're being sold something, you know, and, a little rusty underneath. And by the way, most people don't need to, but if they need to, they need to. And, you know, one of my dads told me, taught me something. He says, if someone ever gives you an ultimatum, you always do the reverse. If someone says this, you have to do this or else go the or else every yep. time, you know, because that's not a person that you want to, you want to be interacting with. Uh, um, before we go to the intro, Sensei Sweeno, I see you nodding with so many things. Is there anything you want to add before we, you know? Well, you know, I think, I don't know if it's a, if it's a luxury or if it's the way we set out, but you know, I know uh, Hunchy Legacy School. I know, I know Randy School, my school. We want people who are there because they love to be there. We want to build serious martial artists. So we don't lead with the bank account. We've always led with the martial arts. And that allows us not to be salesy. Um, if someone comes to me and says, look, I'm just not happy, then let them go. Because why do you want them polluting the environment for everybody who does want to be there, right? And in the long run, I love what you said, Master Kovar, about, uh, you know, I'd rather make a dollar a day forever than than try to squeeze a bunch of money out of people up front. And, uh, taking out the money analogy, the same I think yep. goes true as you, I'm sure you agree. Uh, same goes true with the martial arts. I'd rather build serious martial artists one step at a time slowly uh, than, uh, you know, try to fill the dojo overnight and then discover that uh, people are there for the wrong reasons or that they all leave. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a good one. I, I already love the specificity with which we're digging into everything. Like I said, my name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. I'm dripping sweat. This room does not have air conditioning. It's hot here in Toronto. And I actually feel great about it. Um, you know, we're talking about um, the different time zone on the West Coast. And uh, I know that Sensei Suino and Sensei Dolphin spent some time together. I, I can't do the math on this accurately because I don't know everything that happened at times when I was living away. But it's at least 175 trips that we've all done to see each other or together. And I'm sure that I have that like wrong by half. And I just think about the... 30, 40, 50 years of this all between us. And um, and I love that the different time zones up to and including, you know, Japan and everything in between are part of our training together. And um, I think what I love as much, you know, Sensei Dauphin and I just saw each other uh, like three days ago, two days ago, is that it's not always for training. You know, it's also just for fun stuff. Um, so I'm here with Sensei Randy Dauphin, who is uh, in the same room with Hanchi Gary Legacy, which is a first. And then on the uh, other square is Sensei Suino. We were all a little freaked out by that because we felt like we were missing a square. And Sensei Dauphin is going to introduce our guest tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Biz. And I'm going to have to lean forward because normally the dojo is behind me um, and I don't see good. I'm wearing my wife's glasses. So if I stumble a little bit, please forgive me. Uh, so Kovar Sensei is the founder of Kovar Systems and Kovar Satori Academies. Again, name it what it is, right? Like I like that right away when you read it, it's what it is. 
Uh, he started his martial arts journey in 1972 as a teenager, and he's following in the footsteps of his older brother, Tim. Uh, he earned his first black belt in Kempo Karate, May 1977. I was six, not trying to date anybody here, and I'm old. So uh, Kovar sensei, he loved to spar and compete. He competed in over 200 martial arts tournaments in forms and fighting forms from 1974 to 1989. And uh, for more context, 1989 is when I joined karate. Uh, he won his first place over 90 times, including four grand championships, sparring titles. And in 1982, he was uh, rated California Competitor of the Year. In 1988, he won the United States Martial Arts Championships Men's Heavyweight Division in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Master Kovar is an eighth-degree black belt who holds rank in many different arts. Uh, he considers himself, we were just talking about this, martial artist first, instructor second, and businessman third. And we we're just preaching the benefit of having that. Um, he's also, like Setsuno and Sets Legacy, he's an author of multiple books. He's a businessman and he's developed a pro Mac system to help other martial arts owners learn how to run a successful business. Right. And what I like about that is it's to help other that word help, I think is a really important part of that sentence. Um, uh, Kovar Sensei is recognized worldwide as an innovator of best practices for ethical martial arts schools. Again, ethical, good word to include. Uh, he believes strongly in doing business in a way that puts students and the martial arts first in line with his guiding principles. And I just kind of want to read his mission, right? His, his mission on his website says, we want to help school operators to improve all aspects of school operations. Our programs focus on student acquisition, student retention, and staff development. Staff development, I think, is really important because that's succession. Uh, we provide integrity-based coaching and community resources to school owners that grow your business. You can count on us to deliver effective solutions that will help you attain unprecedented levels of success. All those words resonate with me, all of that stuff. So I'm super excited to have Sensei Kovar on here tonight. The, the preamble was fun, like we were chatting before. I know this is going to be a great show. Thank you so much, Sensei Kovar, for coming on today. Honored to be on the show, guys, really, sincerely. Nothing funner than talking about what we do. It's, it's a great life. Thanks so much, and thanks, Sensei Dofan. Um, and for everybody watching who's watching uh, on YouTube or listening on the podcast, hit that subscribe and like button. We're so happy you're here. And for the people who've logged online with the Zoom call, we have the chat button at the bottom of the screen. And when you um, drop your questions in there, we will then ask them of our guest, and you get to be part of this living history. And like I've talked about, this second hundred round of episodes is just revealing itself to be epic and broad. And uh, I think you want to be as much a part of that as the first hundred. So we're really happy you're here. We can't wait for those questions. Sensei Kovar, what brought you into your first dojo and what kept you there? Great question. So it's interesting. I, I actually grew up in Montana, in Bozeman, Montana. And in the mid, uh, in the mid 60s, we were, my, we were on a family trip somewhere. I think we were in Billings. And there, I saw a silhouette of a guy doing a flying sidekick. I would have been five or six. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. It just It's kind of like I didn't find martial arts. Martial arts found me. And at the time, of course, kids didn't do martial arts for a couple of reasons. First off, there was nowhere to do it. Number two, it was considered kind of 
you know, he didn't have, it was rough and violent and all that kind of stuff. And my, uh, and my father wasn't having any of it. So uh, uh, we eventually moved to California and I started wrestling in, in, in seventh grade. And I did that for three years. And my older brother, Tim, went away to college for a year and did a year of Taekwondo training, actually in Rocky Mountains State in, in Montana, in Billings, actually. Came back and said, you got to let Dave do karate. So I signed up at the local Kempo Karate Studio in September of 73. So actually 50 years ago next month. I still have a relationship with my instructor, Hunchy Bruce Jodnick. And, uh, uh, and so I just kind of, you know, just took to it, man. It, it, I don't know that I was gifted necessarily, but I absolutely loved it. And it was my... It was my tribe. It was, you know, I would basically take the bus at three o'clock, uh, get dropped off by the school. And my dad or mom would pick me up at nine o'clock that night. I lived at the dojo, you know, uh, six days a week, uh, all through high school. And about, and I was teaching by the time I was probably, and by the way, some of you old timers might remember these, there was, there was a Tracy's Karate Studios. It was a big chain in the sixties and seventies. And, and they actually had some relatively decent business systems but it was it was based on a private lesson system every student got one private lesson a week well if you have 100 members that's 100 private lessons a week it's hard for somebody to do so very quickly by the time I was about 15 I was teaching private lessons and uh, I had no clue what I was doing but I kind of enjoyed it and and uh, I uh, I fell into a school my actually my my instructor I, I had a a Kohai, he was older than me, but he was my junior that had opened up a school that wasn't doing very well. And, and so I actually took it over about six months out of high school. And it was in a uh, kind of a beater community, kind of a uh, not a, not a nice part of Sacramento. Uh, and uh, I, I took it over with six students and I had no idea what I was doing, but I had three things going for me. Number one, I, I saved and secured a loan from parents. So I had, but I, I had passion for what I was doing. Uh, my rent was really cheap. And I lived at home, you know, so uh, and, and then what happened was, is some of you guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, Hanchi Legacy might remember. I, I did, but but, you know, back then this was before Karate Kid and there was no kids doing martial arts. There was very few. I think I had the biggest program in the kids for the county. I had like 11 kids. The rest were all adults, but I didn't keep stats. So I really couldn't tell you how many students I had. And and so I struggled for several years through the early 80s. And then there's that movie that came out. Let me think. What was it called? Oh yeah, Karate Kid, boom! And overnight, we just blew up. Like I couldn't even process. I by the time that, that for a few years, I was supplementing my income by painting houses by day and teaching teaching karate in the evenings. And and uh, I remember one time I just gotten back off of work and it's you know got paint out of my fingernails. I raced to the dojo. It's three thirty, and there's like a line of parents waiting to enroll their kids in the program. It was the right time, right product, right place. It was just the perfect storm. And so I brought my brother on who was older, who had not been training for a long time now uh, to be my business partner. And, and we just, we just, it just went gangbusters by the early nineties, our head course school that we still had, we had over 900 members in one location. That's a legitimate number. I'm not making that up. And, uh, and, and so that, because I had a business partner, uh, my brother, I was able to focus on teaching. So early on, we started teaching systems. And at the time I was going to not only martial arts seminars, but, you know, Zig Ziglar seminars and Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn and, and Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and all this stuff. And I was taking, I was implementing that into our huddle discussions for our kids program. And pretty soon other schools started looking. And then in 1993, I, I did a video series called How to Teach Martial Arts to Kids. It was a VHS tape and a little booklet. And it just, it, once again, it was the right product. It just, it just blew up. Yeah. And we just sold 
you know, tons of them all over the country. And that's when we kind of started our, our dipped our foot into the water for coaching. And then we just grew organically, you know, over time we would, I really never had a grand plan, you know, by the way, I'm the guy that'd be happy to be in a dojo all day and never leave. We opened right. up most multi-locations because my brother and I were partners and that was kind of the dream. That was the dream. And I was fine with it. And we also had guys that were ready. You know, they, they were like, we wanted to provide a future for them. So we just organically expanded. We, in the early 2000s, we attempted a national expansion. We were uh, actually, we, we, we were approached by a venture capitalist out of New York and wow. were fused with millions of dollars. And the whole, literally, I'm not making this up, and, and with the intention of, of building a national chain. And so we went from four locations where we were when, we, we, when he found us to 20 locations in a year and a half. And these are corporate-owned commercial facilities. Okay. And we successfully identified what doesn't work. <laughs> uh, got in a lot of trouble. It took us years to battle out of that. You know, we just recently right. actually got on the other end of that. So, um, but it's been a great experience. And, you know, getting kicked in the teeth is a good thing. You know, you learn from it. So I want to come back to that in a sec, but I actually want to touch on um, one idea that we won't go around the horn on because we have all talked about this, but you said you still have a relationship with your first sensei. How important yes, is that? What, why? Is he still your teacher? Why does that matter? Well, you know, I, I mean, uh, it, uh, I uh, there's a special place. I have I don't train with him a lot per se. You know, I don't go and take lessons with him, but I'm as strong, I'm as tight with him as I ever have. You know, there's a uh, uh, there, you know, he was my first sensei and, you know, obviously honor and loyalty, are a big part of martial arts training. Right. And yeah. we've had some rough patches through the years, not, you know, without a doubt, you know, you get to a point where, you know, I want to go one way and he doesn't think it's the shuhari period, you know, concept. Right. You know, and, and, uh, and, and so we, you know, we've had, we've, we've not always agreed on things, but we're in a place now where, uh, you know, I've always had massive respect for him and, and, uh, uh, you know, where we, we uh, converse probably, I probably talk to him probably at least once a month and right. I probably see him four or five times a year. And I will, you know, it's just, uh, now it's, uh, uh, it just, you know, out of, it's the right thing to do. You know, he's the guy that really, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I would have loved honestly, martial arts wherever I went, but I don't know that for sure, but I sure did love it where I went with him. So I got to give him that credit. Right. Um, so it's funny you say that because because of martial arts, I mean, I'm on this call with my first, second and third senseis for, for different um, times and arts. But uh, I still will contact my first real good acting teacher and just say hi. And he's like, Sean, no one does this like someone wow. I met 20 years ago. And I got that from martial arts. And he goes, I appreciate it every time. Um, now, something I do want to go around the horn on. You know, you started teaching when you were 15, you started running a club just out of high school, and you said, you know, you had no idea what you're doing. What is the benefit of starting to teach before you're ready? Because everyone on this call can address that. Do I me to start? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, Sensei Cobra, that's for you, yeah, and then we'll... Okay, we'll yeah, you know, I, I think I had a mentor tell me if someone's half ready, they're ready, and I've never forgotten that, and, you know, the idea is, is that, you know, right now... I can, I can, I've been teaching a long time and I can, I like to think I can step out on the floor and go to a dojo and teach a pretty good class without really preparing for it. But let me tell you, when I prepare for it, it's a lot better, right? So that's first off is still, but the other thing is, is that that wasn't always the case. And, you know, you can't expect somebody to come polished and good to go. They, there's that time that, it, that, 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 that you know, they've got to have that experience, you know, wisdom comes from experience remembered. 
and you want to have a wise teacher, they have to been out on the floor and, and you know, struggled a bit. And you, you want to try to set them up for success by giving them as many good tools as you can out of the gate. But with that said, we, we you know, you, you got to let somebody like my kind of rule of thumb is when I'm training a new instructor, as long as it's something not, not any morally wrong or any safety issue, if they're not doing something technically correct, I kind of let it go and I address the, the challenges later. I don't go in and bail them out, so to speak. Uh, you know, and that that's worked for us. Right on. Um, Sensei Dofe, I see you nodding to that last bit. And I also know I will disagree with you that you think you weren't a great teacher when you started. Um, I do. But what, what are your thoughts on starting teaching pretty darn young and pretty early in your path? Well, you said before you're ready. And you mo mostly in life, you do all the important things before you're ready. You're not ready to be married. You're not ready to have a kid. You're not ready to go to kidney garden. You're not ready to go to university, leave your city, buy a house. I think martial arts is just as important as any of those other things. Um, but like all of those other things, you probably shouldn't do it if you don't have some, like, you know, I became a parent. I still had parents. So I had somebody to go back to and say, you know, I went to university. I knew people who had gone to university that I could go. And when I started teaching karate, while I might not have been ready and I might not have been as good at it, I had sense of legacy and it was a weekly thing. Sensei, like I, I have this student, I don't know what to do with them. And he would help me with those things. Um, and I still do that. Like, I mean, after 26 years of teaching, uh, when there's EIDO problems, I still go to Sensei and say, this person will not do this thing. And or sense legacy and the the same thing with karate right so yeah i don't think we're ever ready for those things but you gotta embrace being uncomfortable and if you're a martial artist you usually can embrace that better than other people right on hanchi legacy what do you think you started teaching really quickly well it was a slightly different situation back in um, 1968 there were not in Canada. Uh, I imagine it was different in the United States. We didn't have really uh, a lot of honest to goodness karate teachers. A lot of a lot of people learned it by day and taught it by night, just because at that time that's the way that was uh, the situation in the martial arts. I, I believe I said this before that it was our generation from thereafter that um got full styles and started putting it together and with the help of the united states for canadian uh going to the united states is a, a pool of knowledge because their marines went over there and brought a lot of it over so um in my situation like i said it was prior to that explosion in canada so uh my sensei let me start teaching before I really should have, you know, on a ground, a brown belt level or something like that. But uh, it's best to have a little experience and no experience. And then um, with that, you can learn how to grow as a teacher. Right on. Yeah. For nowadays, there are a lot of people who will, who will start, who will be masters. And that's hopefully a whole different concept yeah sensei suino what about you you came back looking for a teacher and there wasn't anyone so you just figured i guess it's me 
That sounds like a little bit before you were ready. Well, that was the second time around, right? So I had started uh, uh, as an adult. I'd started karate uh, in college, and and I just wanted to help, right? So and and I think like a lot of dojo owners, if 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 you have a student who really wants to help, you give them an opportunity. And it seems like the majority of people, um, if you put them in that, I said I could, Master Kovar's muted. Let me unmute him. Maybe this will help there you go good good <laughs> um <clears throat> it seems like the vast majority of people if you put them in a situation where you ask them to teach they're going to get better it changes their mindset they're not just in there working for themselves you've said hey help this other person they help most people get a little bit better they take it a little more seriously they learn from the interaction you keep doing that over and over um there's something inherently uh uh, growth positive about asking people to help others. So I think that idea of teaching before you're ready is uh, is perfect, man. Now, of course, there's going to be a few people that just fail, but I think that's a, that's a minority. I think most people most people rise at least somewhat to the occasion. Yeah, I know when I started teaching in Los Angeles, it really I don't know if it, like it focused my training. It, it gave it the pathway much more clear because I had to offer the pathway and. Uh, and like Sensei Dolphin said, it made me call my teachers more and go, hey, what, what do I do in this situation? Or what do you do when someone does this? And uh, I think it was the greatest gift for me to focus um, because if I was going to offer something, I had to be able to understand and explain it and therefore be doing it. Um, so Sensei Cobra, you touched on it a bit, but is there anything you want to add because I know you talked about your pathway and, and the benefit of the 80s and the Karate Kid, but you did talk about the difference of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's something we've talked about in other shows. And I never get tired of just asking, you know, I mean, you, in the 70s, there's a certain vibe, there's a certain feel. Yeah. I imagine the pedagogy must have been different. What ethical meant must have been different. Yeah. So uh, um, my when I started, it was the Bruce Lee craze. Right. That was it. And, and you know, Enter the Dragon is the summer I began is when Enter the Dragon came out and and uh, Kung Fu was on show, on TV. And, you know, mm -hmm. I lived for that show. And what was ironic is Kempo, like American Kempo guys could kind of swing to karate or Kung Fu or somewhere in the middle. So a lot of the guys at our dojo actually wore Kung Fu uniforms because that was the cool thing to wear at the time. Right. And what was really interesting about that era for me was I didn't know any better, but but it, it, it wasn't as much. But the, the kind of my my role models at that school were they were good guys, but there was really no uh, they were kind of the guys that trained this night. And let's go out to the club and see what we can make work in the bar tonight. That was all kind of the mentality. And it was kind of that was the age then. I, I learned so much in my, my instruction. I joke about all the time. I learned what not to do in a martial arts dojo by watching what happened. I didn't even want my dad to go into the school to pick me up because I was worried if he saw what was going on. You know, like as soon as the clothes sign would go on, beers would pop out. There was a ashtray, you know, a, a, there was an ashtray in the lobby and people were smoking constantly. And, you know, there was uh, there was a lot of inappropriate, uh, you know, things happening in the dojo. Uh, that wouldn't you'd never get away with now and and unsafe classes and and uh you, you know the list goes on and on and but that was kind of that was it was kind of still the wild west and if you look at the, the, the you know it was kind of blood and guts era still you know and the, mm -hmm. then the the first three years I fought as a black belt it was still you could wear gloves but it was bare knuckle stuff and I remember going to the internationals which was the big tournament back then and it used to be on a cement floor at Long Beach Internationals in Long Beach Arena and 
sweeps and takedowns, groin kicks okay, three seconds on the ground, and it was no headgear. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you think about that now, and of course, theoretically, you're not hit, supposed to hit somebody in the face, but you all know how that went, right? And uh, and so that was kind of, an, I think guys were really tough then. I think that the athletes are way better now, no doubt right. about it, because they've learned more, but they were tough guys back then. And then I think, uh, you know, in the 80s is when the kind of the, the late 70s is when the Taekwondo push kind of happened. <laughs> That was that in big influx. And then in the 80s, it was the ninja craze. Uh, in the mid-80s, then the karate kid came into play. And uh, and then in, of course in the early 90s, it was it was uh it was uh you know ninja turtles, and, and then of course UFC came, boom, 93, right? In the in the winter of 93, and that changed everything. And and uh uh and and so then I remember uh, I've been doing jujitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Of course, my first start was actually wrestling since uh, May of 94. So I, it's my 29th year, right? And I remember when I got started, I was, I was no other guys were doing it. And I just kind of felt like that's where I, I, I remember guys saying, it's just a craze. It's not going anywhere. It's just a craze. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think it is, man. I think it's here to stay. And, uh, uh, and so it's, it's been interesting to see how, you know, MMA and, uh, uh, and Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu have really stepped up a lot. And by the way, I have nothing but respect for traditional karate. And, you know, I, 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 I love all the arts, uh, um, there, but there are, there are certain things that I love about, uh, there's things I don't love about what's MMA's brought to the table. I've kind of got a love hate relationship with it, you know, uh, but, but I do, there's a lot of benefits as far as, uh, is what, what I feel is things that I should be teaching my students as to what I used to do. And, and so, uh, uh, it's been interesting to see overall, I think there's a lot of areas where we're not as good, but I think the quality of martial arts in most areas, I, and by the way, I, I guess a lot of you guys would disagree with me, but is actually better. And what I mean by that is, yes, there's more kids than there used to be, no doubt about it, okay? But if you compare apples to apples, uh, you know, back like when I first opened up a school or the first few years I was a competition school and I don't know how many students I had, but I was very proud of all of them because they could go to we'd go to tournaments and we'd win all the time. But what I didn't take into consideration is all the people that I'd bring to tournaments were already tough before they started. They didn't really need martial arts. Mm. Uh, what I did is I weeded out all the people that really needed this by being too hard, too hardcore, too soon. So all the people that could really benefit from martial arts training, I scared them away. So what I had is a handful of tough guys. Like, like they didn't, you know, and so what I've learned to do is cast a broader net initially and to make sure the experience, I want to help people that, that aren't natural athletes or not, not naturally intense or gifted or, and I want to help them become their best. And, 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 and that's, so if you compare, you know, a 45 year old gal that's going to test for her black belt with us in three weeks to the 45 year old gal in 1975, the test of your black belt. Well, guess what? There wasn't one in 1975. It's really not a fair comparison because they because we scared her away at Orange Belt. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't think it's ever a fair comparison to to really do that. You have to look at the actual person. I just want to pop in there because Hanshi, you have you have you know a similar timeline. Do you think that that's accurate? That the tough guys survived, the tough women survived, but the others maybe you know are benefiting more now. Well, when I was building my dojo, um, not everybody, in my opinion, again, I stand to be corrected, not everybody can become, let's just say for this, a tent What I mean is a full out blown grandmaster of karate. Mm -hmm. 
So there are a lot of other steps in there that you can um, that you can land at, which is um, uh, your own strengths and your and you can't say even though you try your hardest, you can't become a tent then. So uh, we have to teach everyone, but the people who become who are karate or we, you would always pick as people like Matsumura, Itosu, Kizukize, uh, Nick Suino, uh, you know what I mean? Like that, persons that exemplify and have become the full art, but there's always room for everyone else. So it's very, very difficult. And it takes you probably, uh, uh, in my opinion, and in Sensei Sandoval's opinion, it takes 35 years to become a karate grandmaster. So you have to be able to fit everyone else in there, but you're still looking for that person who's going to be um, the student who becomes the grandmaster because he is the guy who's going to keep it together because who are going to teach the seventh dance? Who's going to teach the eighth and ninth dance? Who? If you don't have that person that does it all his life and is, can push through and has that ability. So that's sort of a tossed question, I guess. No, I understand what you're saying, and I couldn't agree more. You know, the bottom line is, is that you, you want the, the people that, that would have survived any era, but we want to make sure I think the modern instructor needs to also take into consideration someone's natural attributes. And that doesn't mean you give them anything they don't deserve, but you, I, I, what I hear you saying is you help them to realize their potential, whatever that might be. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not making them a grandmaster just because they try hard and they've been with you a long time. You know, that's, that's, that's a sacred thing that you got, but, but you're still going to do everything you can to keep them training with you as long as possible. So you they can evolve to the best of their abilities. I don't want yes. to put words in your mouth, but that's what I heard you say. Yeah, basically, yes. But also, you know, uh, you said the thing at the beginning, and I nudged him when you said it, is that people delve in different martial arts and because they want to get better, which is fine. But when they go to learn from different martial arts, they go to a guy who's been there a long time. because So I... I, I didn't want to interrupt you because I couldn't agree with you more. Like I've told people, I've got a black belt in multiple styles and I'm pretty good at a lot of things, but I'm not great at anything. And I know that, you know, and if you go to me, you want to be, you know, be a jujitsu champion, don't go to me, go to someone that's done nothing but that. You know, if you want to be, be the best Kabuto practitioner, you can. Uh, hey, I've been a, I've been training Kabuto for almost 30 years, but don't come to me because I haven't given it as much time. I'm not the guy. So I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I definitely am a generalist in it, and I will search out people that have done their one art their whole life. But that's not for everyone. Like, I think I have a bad case of martial arts ADHD. I, I would have probably got bored if I did that. I, I like the cross-training element. And I also, from my experience, there's only so many ways the elbow bends. And when I do Filipino weaponry, it actually makes my temple better because there's so much things that are related and i've seen the connection but i have nothing but respect for someone that's just put their binders on and focused on their art and made it the best they possibly can and made that their life study no doubt about it yeah those are the persons who keep the art alive because you know the harder people to teach are the guys uh from the red belts and up you know if you don't have that long-lasting knowledge how do you, how do you keep um masters and 
highly intelligent people, you know, following the path. I think we so, agree. I want to actually ping back Sensei Kovar to what you, you mentioned about training with different people. And I think we've had someone mention the name, but I don't think we've had a real conversation about Grandmaster Junri. And I've loved for years. I have a, I, I, I got my fourth degree black belt under him. I know him incredibly well stayed at my house a dozen times. We'd, yes. we'd love to hear about him. Amazing man. Amazing man. Uh, uh, I tell you what I get. I get goosebumps when I think about him. And I first met him in November. Actually, I went to a martial arts business seminar in 1987. It was right after I was telling the karate kid came out. I gave up painting. I'm full time. I'm trying to figure this business out because I have so many students. I don't know what to do with it. And my my Kempo background, unlike uh, like a Okinawan or karate back uh, or Japanese uh, karate background, where there was way more structure and respect, was was the American Kempo guys. There really wasn't much of that. You know, I grew up. It was everybody's first name basis, and I just didn't know any different. You know, and and like I said, the the, the guys were the role models were different. And and uh, I'm not saying that's everywhere in American Kempo. It was just my my filter from what I saw and then I here I go to this seminar in in Southern California it's a three-day seminar basically we we uh it was Friday morning to Sunday night it was three days we slept in the dojo and it was 12 hour days literally and I meet this Korean guy Grandmaster Junior and of course I everybody knew who he was right he was Brutley's training partner and to me he was the epitome of a Grandmaster and what I mean by that he lived eat breathed martial arts he was you know super respectful super he was fit uh, you know, he, uh, you know, and that's when I first kind of had a concept of, uh, you know, uh, of imparting with life skills to our students. That was, I really never occurred to me before then. But one of the stories, uh, so I trained with him as part of his organization for almost a decade. It was, it was a really hard thing to do because Kempo and Junior Taekwondo were so different. I was trying to teach them both. And one of them, you have your hand here and other, you, you know, it was just really, so what I had is I had my guys, we couldn't do anything very well. And so I had to kind of make a decision and drift away from it. But a couple of things, first off, I wrote this letter to him basically saying, I'm, I'm, I'd love to stay friends and I, I'll always look up to him, but I, I, I'm not going to teach his style anymore. And I was ready for him to say, get out of here, never talk to me again. And he could not have been more gracious. You know, but earlier there was one time uh, where he was doing his two experiences that I'll never forget with Jun Ri. Grandmaster Ri and I are doing an early morning workout in my living room. And at the time he would have been about my age, maybe a couple of years older. Okay. But mid sixties and I'm holding a paddle for him. This is six in the morning. I'm holding a paddle for him and he's trying to make his left leg spinning hook kick better. And I remember stopping for him and I go, sir, you really like martial arts, don't you? And he looked at me, he goes, are you kidding? I love it. Here he is, mid-60s, still trying to make his weak leg kick better. I love that. But then fast forward to the early 90s, he uh, was awarded by um, by uh, President Bush Sr. He was awarded the Outstanding Asian American Award uh, uh, for his work in the, in, the, in, the, in the community. And it was he was awarded in L.A. And he called me on the phone and said, uh, sir, I, I, I'm get a chance to be awarded at a presidential dinner. I'm getting an outstanding, uh, 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 American, outstanding American Asian American award. They're easy for me to say award. And, um, I'm going to, I have a chance to do a demo. Could you bring some of your kids and could we do a martial arts demo at a presidential dinner? And of course, what do I say? Of course. And I knew yeah. all his forms, his martial ballets that he did. So I'm on a, you know, so I fly down there and by the way, I got to meet the president. I got a picture with him and my, you know, my students, it was very cool. And there's a whole other story about how that happened, but cause it wasn't supposed to, but uh, I'm staying with him. I'm rooming with him. And that morning, at the time, he was doing a five, excuse me, he was doing a thousand pushups a day, every day. Now, you can argue whether that's good for you or not, but that's what he was doing. Okay. You might, and uh, that morning, we do five sets of 100 pushups. Uh, by the way, 
he does five sets of 100 push-ups. I attempt to do five sets of 100 push-ups, right? <laughs> and, I, and I'm with him all day. And we're, you know, and we go to the presidential dinner and he meets some of his Korean friends afterwards and he stays out with them. And I go back to the hotel room. He comes back at 1130 that night. And I don't want to, as much as I love Grandma Story, I did not want a late night lecture that I knew if I was awake, he was going to give me a, a lecture on something. And so I pretend like I'm asleep and uh, he doesn't want to wake me up. He quietly takes off his, his dress shirt and I watch him drop down and do five sets of 100 pushups. And it was like, you know, when you think lead by example, that guy did it you know better than anyone now he he was not without his faults of course you, you know he he uh but he was an amazing guy and uh you know i was fortunate i got to interview him i did one of the last interviews of him probably two months before he passed a few years back and mm -hmm. just you know i have nothing but but admiration and respect for what you know what he did and what he represents and what he attempted to do and and the man he was um, I just want to comment. I mean, what an incredible thing for him, but also for you. I mean, here you are getting to meet the president as a function of being a kid who decided to follow the passion of the martial arts. You know, like you're probably not thinking that when you're 15. That well, well, here, here's the interesting thing. Yeah, me to meet George I got to tell the story about meeting the president. So we show up. And by the way, I told everybody and their cousin I was going to do a demo for the president. So let's just clear. I called up, you know, distant <laughs> relatives, you know, everybody gave me a hold up. And, and I show up and we show up and it's in this convention center that's, you know, in L.A. somewhere. And the fire marshal has changed the rules so they won't let that many people in the room. And so we find out we're never even going to the president's going to be uh, not even show up until after we do our demo. He's never we're never going to be in the same room as he is. And I'm going, ah. And so we're in another room with a big screen TV uh, so you can see the president when he shows up. And, and there's no security in this room, by the way, there's very little, like there was a bunch when we went into the main room to do the demo and I'm kind of going, oh man. So I'm, I'm there, I'm with three kids. We're in my martial arts uniforms. And all of a sudden you hear some people whispering and talking all of a sudden the doors fly open and in walks president Bush with a security detail. And he looks around the room and he sees a bunch of people in suits and he sees some guy with some kids in martial arts uniforms, walks right over to us. And he goes, oh, you here? Great. And it turns out he trained grand. He was actually grandmaster. He taught him lessons. Oh, you're here with June. Oh, I love that guy. And yada yada. And then you ever had the time when the when the camera's not, you can't get the picture of your camera to work. You guys ever had that experience? <laughs> well, that's what happened. We were trying to get a picture. The, the camera wouldn't work. It was like, oh, no one's ever going to believe me. We turned out we did get the picture. But yeah, that was my experience meeting the president. Nice. Um, we had a question come in from Sensei Copeland, who's been one of our guests. He's he's the like fifth member of the Beatles as far as this show goes and um I clocked this as well while you were talking with your dates that those exact dates with the UFC this came out this came out he asked really simply what do you attribute your great memory to oh you know I my wife would question that a lot <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know that I could tell you what I had for lunch today, but I just remember that stuff. You know, I, I think you remember places and times that are important to you. you. You know what I'm saying? When you're mentally, physically, emotionally involved in something, you know, it, it kind of, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they just, uh, uh, and so I probably, there's a, probably a lot of stuff I forget. And I think over time you tend to re rehash the same memories and maybe forget some others. There's probably a lot of gaps I could fill in. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment, but I don't know that it's as good as, as uh, uh, you know, he thinks it is. But thank you. Um, you know, this is just out of the blue. It's a question I want to ask you, but it's something I'm picking up. Um, how important is humility in the martial arts? Because while you're talking about the success of your schools and while you're talking about this, I know you're being very genuine when you say to Hanchi Legacy, I'm not as great as I'd like to be at all these arts. 
or you're talking about Junri, like you're you're deferring to him and saying, I can't teach your thing very well. Even after 10 years, like you you have a humility about this. And, and I'm asking, did the martial arts give you that and how important is it? Well, I think if you train in martial arts, you, you, you know, it's easy to stay humble because you realize how much so there is to learn. Right. And that's the thing about like for me, like training in different arts, it's like it's so easy to be realize that you don't know anything. And my experience is the more I train, the realize the less I know, you, you, you know, there's so much more to learn. And and I had a couple examples on both ends of the spectrum when it came to like one of my good friends and one of my mentors is 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 Ernie Reyes Sr. He's an amazing guy, you know, Grandmaster Ernie Reyes Sr. And and he has always been for me, like I, I have the privilege, I have the fortunate privilege, I, I speak him, I speak pretty regularly. And he's been, like I said, a mentor from never my teacher, but my older brother, my martial arts older brother for 40 years. And, mm -hmm. and I, I look at the way he interacts and how sincere he is with people. And, you know, it was something that was like, wow, that's, and I've seen the other side, I've seen the false humility and i've seen the guys that walk up and introduce themselves as senior great grandmaster you know type thing and you know i have nothing wrong with giving someone the respect they deserve but but it's always i always appreciate it when people don't demand it that they earn it you know what i'm saying and that's something that 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 i i never you know i don't care what you call me you can call me you know master kovar or dave it doesn't really matter you, you know it's like a, uh, i understand the importance of titles and we use them in our schools um but but i also i'm not so caught up in it that i i, I you know that i i not forget that we all put our pants on one leg at a time and i i've got i don't know i know you know it, i've got a great story of the example chuck norris sent at a time i'd love to share with you guys that i had firsthand with him that really was probably the most mind-boggling uh sense of uh of, of of what uh how to how to interact with others that i've ever been exposed to go for it let's hear that all right man so so you guys remember sidekicks the movie sidekicks ah. so it was about 30 years ago and it was one of his last feature films i think and this is when he was at the height of his success you know this is when he's the most popular right then now the younger generation they only know him for for chuck norris jokes that's all they know him for right <laughs> and and i've had the privilege of actually uh, you know interacting with him like i don't know that he remembers my name now but there was a time that he knew me and uh, i probably i probably hung out with him a dozen times or close to it starting in the early seven the mid 70s actually came up to sacramento uh uh, uh i got 75 or something i probably got 10 pictures at various times but so because i had a relationship with him he was promoting this movie sidekicks and he went he went to 21 cities over 22 days and uh, he came to sacramento on day 22 and because i had a relationship with him they picked us to run security for him okay so his agent called and said hey uh, Mr. Norris wants to know if, if, if when we come to Sacramento, if you couldn't get some of your black belts, because we're going to go to three different um, movie theaters to, you know, to sign autographs and shake hands. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, uh, you know, if you could provide some black belts for security, that would be great. And of course, you know, how cool is that? You know, it was a no brainer. So I asked him, I go, is there any chance that uh, Mr. Norris can come to our school that afternoon before and to meet some of our students? And, and his agent goes, yeah, but we don't have much time. I'll, I'll give you a half an hour. But we don't have a lot of time. But yeah, yeah, you know, we'll do that. And so I think 50 people are going to show up and like 500 people show up. There's like a line around the building. Right. And there's no time to sign autographs or shake hands. I, there's time to shake hands. No time to sign out or to take pictures. Just the line of 500 people shaking Chuck Norris's hand. So my wife is person number 132 in the mix, you know, somewhere in there. And she goes, hi, my name's Angelina. I'm Dave's wife. You know, they shake hands. They go out their business. Now it's time to leave to the movie theaters. My brother hops in the SUV and we have four other black belts. They're going to run security. 
and I get to ride the limo with Chuck Norris. And so I slink in the limo and I sit in the back seat and I'm thinking, how cool is this? I get to spend the evening in the, you know, with Chuck Norris. And he looks over at me and he says, so Dave, can your wife Angelina join us? He'd never met her before. He remembered her name after meeting 500 people. But here was the kicker. For six hours, he shook hands and signed autographs. And every person he did, he sincerely interacted with. But at the mm -hmm. end of the night, uh, we're at the final theater. And uh, my guys, my team is putting away some barriers that the, 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 uh, the theater uh, employees had to kind of for the for people to walk through to meet him. And Chuck Norris gets in the limo and he starts to drive off. He says, see you later, Dave. And I see the brake lights go on and the reverse lights go on. And he backs up and he drives past me to where my guys are and rolls down the window. And by name, there was another guy in the group called Dave. He goes, hey, Tim. Hey, Mark. Hey, Ken. Hey, Dave. Hey, Bob. Thanks for helping. That was great fun. This is after 22 days on the road and drives off. And to this day, that was 30 years ago, those guys would go to battle for Chuck Norris in a heartbeat right. because of the way he made them feel. And that was one of the most important, impressive things I'd ever seen as far as how to interact with others. You know, some of you guys might remember Zig Ziglar and Zig Ziglar he would tell people, imagine everyone you meet has a sign on their chest that says, make me feel important. And that's what he did. And that's what he still does. I saw him at June Reese funerals last time I saw him. And he was the same gracious person then. That's lovely. That's absolutely, I've never heard a bad story about the man. And, yep. you know, we've had a few on the show and it's, it's lovely to just keep that reinforced. Um, Sensei, it's time for your 10 questions. It's 9.30 here, Toronto time. So these are the 10 questions we ask all our guests and we ask that you answer as impulsively as you can, but feel free then to crack open your answers as you wish. What is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Uh, a, a kind word. Who is the most influential martial artist in your life? Bruce Lee. Um, who do you think is the most influential martial artist of all time and why? Uh, I would go with Bruce Lee because, uh, you know, he was on top of movie star. He was a renaissance man. You know, that you know, he was, uh, uh, of course, I never met him, but uh, uh, I saw I saw Enter the Dragon 36 times in a movie theater before, you know, you could even buy the VHS, right? Um, I, I just think that he kind of uh, kind of set a super high standard. And I think he was the first one to really look at being open-minded and receptive to input from various arts. Um, what excites you most about the next five years of your training? Um, I, uh, I, it, it really made peace with my age and my injuries and what I can do. And I'm no longer comparing myself what I, what I used to be able to do and wish I could. I'm eager to, uh, you know, be able to, uh, continue to thrive in the areas with which I can still perform at a relatively high level. Mm -hmm. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, welcome. I've been watching you. You did okay. Um, we've touched on this a little bit. Do you have a favorite film and television martial artist, even if they're not actually a martial artist? Favorite film and television martial artist? Ah. Uh, Bruce Lee, for sure. Uh, uh, that would be my favorite. Uh, I like uh, I, I like Jet Li a lot, and I like Jackie Chan a lot. Ah. Um. Is there a martial artist in all of recorded history, living or dead, who, who you'd want to train with the most? It's a great question. Musashi, hands down. Mm. Um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what benefit would they be getting? Uh, confidence 
and uh, self-control and respect. Mm. Um, our last two questions come as a pair. What's your greatest achievement and what's your greatest regret? Uh, my greatest achievement would be my family, you know, having a great relationship with my wife and kids. Uh, I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, I, I think it would be uh, doubt that I had that I would make it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I regret, you know, that how many times did I uh, lie away sleepless nights when challenges doubting I would get through it versus just focusing on what I could do and knowing that it always works out, you know, if it hasn't worked out and it means that, you know, how, with how the phrase go, it always works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end, you mm -hmm. know, just to, to have the faith, you know, kind of my mantra is take care of the days and the years, take care of themselves. All I can focus on today is getting up today, taking care of people, you know, treating myself, you know, taking, being healthy, eating right, exercising, working hard, you know, trying to, trying to be respectful of my relationships, try to grow in culture, my business, and then go to bed and do the same thing tomorrow. I absolutely love that. I'm a one day at a time kind of man myself. Um, thanks for that. That's a wonderful 10 questions. And now I want to go to something you talked about in the 10 questions before we back up to your tournament um, days. But I want to talk about now, you talked about how age, injuries, not comparing yourself. And I think that's an important conversation for us. And I think it's one we'll go around the horn on. But what has been the challenge? What have you come to with it? And how do you not compare yourself to the, you know, competitor of California days? You, you can't not, but you can catch yourself when you do it. And, and you know, I say something when I'm teaching a, a, a class, I'll go to do a seminar somewhere and I'll, it's an adult class. I'll go, how many guys wish you would have started when you were younger? And almost every hand goes up. And my comment is suck it up. You didn't. You started when you did started. And the reason why you do, you're comparing yourself with a younger version of yourself or some kid that you see in the class. It's got all this potential, but it's apples and oranges. It's not fair. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, you know, what I, I, when I, when I find myself going down that rabbit hole, I go, wait a minute, it's been a good life. Yes, I can't, I need to warm up for a few minutes before I can kick and I'm not kicking as high as I once did. It's all good, man. You know, it's like, it's the circle of life. I just, it's a constant, uh, over time, I'm starting to believe those words and I'm starting to buy into it a little bit more. And then I also don't set myself up for failure by trying stupid stuff. Or, oh, that psychic feels good. Let me do 10 more until it, oh, I did one too many. And then I'm back to where I was before. I've learned to kind of quit early, you know. So my philosophy and training, because I still train. I exercise every day, seven days a week. I, right now I'm doing jujitsu five days a week. Uh, but I'm not super crazy with it. But my extra seven days a week of exercise is not super intense. It's I just try to do something every day that's different. But my I, I call it the 80% rule. And that is, is that I never go to fatigue. Every time I've gotten an injury in almost every case is when I was that last 20%, you know, and I was really tired of fatigue. So I try to quit always early. And I always look at, I used to be martial arts, then fitness, then health. And I've switched it around. It's health first. That's my main priority. Cause I want to wake up feeling good in the morning. That's most important to me. Then fitness, then martial arts. And my philosophy is do martial arts for fitness. Now I do fitness so I can do martial arts mm -hmm. and I, you know, but you, I don't do sidekicks to stay in shape. I stay in shape so I can do an occasional sidekick. Right on. Um, we are definitely going to go around the horn on that. I'm going to start with you, Sensei Dauphin, because I really see you connecting and nodding with a lot of what Sensei Kovar just said. So, um, you know, age, injuries, not comparing yourself to, you know, another time in your life as a martial artist. Is that a part of your journey? I, I'm not 100% sure that I'm there yet, Sean, because uh, I just was talking to uh, 
said to McLaren upstairs and I said, you know, I'm 51. I kind of feel like any version of myself in a physical setting, I'd be able to beat them at least martial arts wise right now. But I know the day is coming that that scale is going to tip. And so I I do try and prepare myself for that day. Um, And what I just tell myself is, you know, like, let's just use a fitness example, right? When I'm using that 60 pound kettlebell to do Turkish get-ups and I do five aside, there's going to come a day when I'm to sense of what he said, where I, I can't do five aside. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try and do like four aside for as many years as I possibly can to do four aside and be really happy that I'm still doing four aside. Right. And hopefully, you know, when I'm 137 years old and I'm mm-hmm. only doing one aside, I'm like, awesome. Like I'm still doing that thing that gave me joy, passion, health, benefit that I was doing when I was 51 and when I was 18. And yeah, so I think that's where I go with it. I'm not quite there yet. I don't have that wisdom yet, um, but I love hearing it because I, I know I need to hear it. Since so, you know, when I talk to him on Tuesday mornings and I say, oh, my neck is gerked up or my knee is sore, he always says, I got bad news for you, Randy. This is the best you're ever going to feel. (laughs) (laughs) And my Um, young self, that's where my young self could beat me, Sean, in recovery. Right. Right. And that's, yeah. Um, You you know, I agree with you, Sensei. Like, there's no version of my past martial arts self that could deal with my present martial arts self better. Um, Even with a recovered knee, this, that. Like, but absolutely that recovery is slower. Sensei Suino, let's go to you on this one. Let's talk about age injuries and comparison with former versions of your physical self. Well, unlike Randy, I'm 100% sure I'm not over it yet. (laughs) Man, I am pissed off because I can't do what I once did. But what it means is over the last 10 years, I've made a hobby out of longevity, right? So I'm always thinking about nutrition, about exercising in a productive way, allow me to do more martial arts. Uh, about uh about about sleep uh you know i'm a human guinea pig i'm always experimenting on myself and it's become a it's become an obsession and sometimes it goes pretty well and i'm happy to say that i think compared to a lot of people my age i'm in pretty good shape and i think my you know i always joke about the curve right i want my martial arts curve to go like this and my death curve to go like this and i'm trying to extend that apex out (laughs) as far as i can um I will say this, this is one thing I love about BJJ. Um, uh, I could just, I could destroy my grappling self of 10 years ago with half the effort. Right. I can't do that. I can't say that about stand up judo anymore. I got too much arthritis pain. I can't move the, I can't move with the agility that I could move 10 or 20 years ago in judo. Um, You know, I've never been that great at karate, so I can't compare that, but uh, in combatives, um, um, but in BJJ, I'm just older and smarter. And I, I, I love that fact about it. And I'm sure Master Kobar, you, you, you get some of this too. I think that's one of the reasons we turn to it and continue it is because it's not about the athleticism anymore. It's about this thing. Uh, you know, just a quick note on that. Honestly, kata training. I love kata training. I, I, I and I, I still do it, but not as much because my hips can't handle the rotation, the hip rotation that throws my back out, you know, it, but I can grapple. 
I go figure. I got an issue with a knee and like you said, arthritis in my hip and my shoulder and my wrist and my ankle and, you know, you know but I can grapple it, and, and it gives me joy to be able to still be able to train at a relatively high level because I'm, I'm not, you know, when I spar with my guys, it's not the, you know, I, I you know, I'm not even close to where I was, you know, my, my old self would kill myself, put it that way, no doubt about it, in <laughs> other area of the Arabic grappling. Um, Hanji Legacy, where do you go with this facing your age, facing injuries, and facing the inevitable comparison with your younger self, or maybe it isn't inevitable? Well, I would say that most, most things have been covered, but uh, I'm just going to put it this way. Uh, at 77, which is my age, you know, it's hard to accept that you're not able to do what you once could. Like, even though if, how hard I try, I still won't be able to do it. However, uh, you would not be who you are today. And I would not be who I am today. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. And if you, if I ever, I just look at other men or ladies that are my age and, you know, like I can move around pretty good still just in everyday life. Uh, you know what I mean? I feel healthier, stronger, and I don't feel my age, I guess. And that's, that's one of the benefits until you come uh, close to your your end in martial arts, uh, that's a benefit. That's a benefit that lasts for a life lifetime. I, I can go out there, I can't do it as good as I can, but I can still do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, could never do that at my age, but I, uh, of course, you're, you're grateful to the martial arts for that, to the art and your dedication to the art. Yes, sir. Yep. Thanks, well said, sir. Um, Sensei Kova, let's take you back for for you know a few minutes to your competition period. I mean, your Palmaris is incredible. The number of things you won, the the the, the awards for winning that you got recognized for being so successful. Talk about that time, how whatever you want to get into, and talk about why you stopped. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's like I, I honestly, it's anybody that showed up at tournaments on a regular basis to racked up the trophies. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like I was a a really good regional competitor, and I fought all the best guys of my generation. I fought Steve Nasty Anderson. I fought Alvin Prouder. I fought Chip Wright. I fought uh, Steve Mad Dog Curran and all you know, Sam Montgomery. Some of those names might ring a bell to you guys that have been around, and and those were all the best guys of my generation. Uh, I pretty much lost almost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I was ahead of Steve Anderson for, for most of the match, who was the number one fire in the country at the time. And then he figured me out. And, 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 and anyway, but um, but I, I loved competition and it wasn't about as much about the competition, although it was nice to, you know, when you're 17, bringing home the big trophy is a cool thing. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I appreciated in an early age, the competition, it was the training for it that really made the difference. You know what I'm mm. saying? And I also. Uh, I don't know about some people, I don't know where you guys are, we're in your competition, but I honestly struggled with a confidence. Like I would, the day before tournament, I think, why did I register for this? I'm going to get my butt kicked that morning. I would think, what am I doing here? You know? Uh, um, and then once, usually once we bowed in, I was fine, but I, I, I wanted to get over that. You know, I wanted to be able to kind of show up like a lot of guys that could barely wait to get in the ring. I pretended like I barely could barely wait to get in the ring, but the, the reality was I was scared to death to get in the ring. 
and uh, and and so uh, eventually it got easier. And and uh, but what happened was is that I remember thinking I was old. I'm well, my last term, and I think I was 29 years old, and I thought it was time. But I ended up fighting a guy named Hakeem Austin, who was the, like the number two fighter rated fighter in the country. He was one of the guys that was on the WMBC Masters. Do you remember that show back in the day? But uh, and uh, he just destroyed me, dislocated my shoulder in the process. But I remember. Um, so I would like that my last fight, I kind of wished it wasn't the, the worst fight. By the way, it was in the finals, so I didn't dwell that day up to there. But I guess my point was, is I, my school was starting to thrive. You know, we had had a few years and I realized that I saw these guys going to tournaments and guys that continue to compete in tournaments all the time. There were guys that struggled professionally. And I realized if I'm waking up at three in the morning thinking about the next karate tournament, that's not going to help me grow my school. So I made a conscious shift to be, I'm done with that chapter. I'm going to take all that energy. I'm going to focus into my students and grow my business. And that's, that was really the impetus for to take us to take off. And I made several attempts. I was going to get back to on my 40th birthday. I was going to fight, uh, but then I hurt my back and, you know, then I was going to do a week half of Filipino weaponry world championship tournament. And I, I messed my wrist up a couple months before. And that's why I'm doing a jujitsu tournament here in, in next month is, is uh, because I want to do another one just for the sake of it. But um, it was an important experience for me. Uh, and I learned a lot from it, but but I also, I kind of feel like I want to take the shift off myself and put it on what I was trying to accomplish and winning another trophy really wasn't going to do that. And and like I said, who am I to tell somebody else what their journey should be? But I went to a tournament about two years ago just to poke my head and it was a local one. And I knew some guys, that I had a couple of students competing and I, I saw a guy there that I recognized he was fighting in the old man's division and he looked like a guy I used to compete against. He looked like his grandfather. And I go, oh, that's that's, oh man, that looks like so-and-so's grandfather. And, and I get a little closer and he goes, hey, Kovar, it's the same guy. He's been competing in tournaments for 50 years and more power to him, but that's not where I want to spend every Saturday. You know, I spent plenty of Saturdays in a hot, sweaty gymnasium and uh, there's other things I'd rather do now. And so that was an important part of my experience uh, in my, 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 my development. But, uh, you know, there came a time when I never, I never really regretted not, you know, giving it up, so to speak, I guess. Um. Again, I, I don't want to push this humility idea, but I just popped over to the page that I was looking at earlier. One over first place over 90 times, including four grand champion titles. Sounds like a little more than a decent regional competitor. Um, uh, you know, in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king, you know, and like like in Northern California, I was the guy in Sacramento for a few years, you know, what I'm right. saying like, like, uh, uh, so to speak, I was the man, you know, from there, I, I, I would have told you about it, too, you know, but, but in the bigger scheme of things, when I'd go to the big events, I could never take home the big, you know, I didn't right. want a national title, uh, you, you know, but I, I, I competed in probably 50 big events, you, you know, you know, what I'm saying like, like high level events. And, you know, I only placed in a couple, you know, so that's what I mean by that. Like, like I didn't really, when I, like when I fought Steve Anderson, Steve Nancy Anderson, there was no doubt who's the better fighter. It was a whole nother level or my last one, Hakeem Alston, who was, there was no doubt. It was like, I was out of my, out of my league completely, you know, it'd be like grappling with, uh, with Higgin, you know, Gracie, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or uh, Hicks and Gracie, excuse me, or Higgin Machado. It would be that level that did the difference, you know? So I was, like I said, I, I think I was a decent regional guy and I, but I showed up a lot. I won a lot of trophies because I competed every weekend for years. So there's a lot of tournaments I didn't win. <laughs> yeah. And then um, when you look at the competitions today and, and, you know, you're talking about those nerves and you're talking about uh, the value of facing that. 
Um, what do you think are the pros and cons of how the the tournaments look when you check them out these days? Compared well, to your- I went to I was I, I was in I was in uh, um, uh, Orlando a couple of weeks ago uh, for an event that I was speaking at. It was in concert with the U.S. Open, which is a big NASCAR tournament, and I hadn't been to a big tournament in a long time. And what I was what I was impressed with was first off the kata. Of course, you have the XMA stuff that's, that they do that you know you can like or not like, but you can't argue with the skill level. But the traditional kata, they were some beautiful stuff. And the point fighting, the modern point fighting, I don't quite get it. It's a little different than what I was used to, but I don't want to be that bitter guy that goes back in my day because I was watching these guys and they're pretty darn good at what they do. Uh, it's it's a different, it's definitely more point than we used to do. It's definitely more, you know, you can pick it apart, but but the guy, I was watching the guys in the finals and, you know, I, I wouldn't, under those rules set, I wouldn't, I wouldn't last 30 seconds. You know what I'm saying? They're so fast off the line. And then you look at the application of that and you see like what Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or, you know, a Machida has been able to do with karate and in, in, in MMA. It's pretty cool. And so there is that, we all know there's an explosive off the line power that you can get if you've, if you've done that kind of thing. So I was, I walked away kind of like partially like, ah, uh, what's, What's modern karate come to? It's not like back in the day. And part of me was going, okay, it's it's evolved in a lot of ways. They're way better, you know. I don't think they're as tough as the is the Mike Stone, you know, Joe Lewis, uh, Bill Wallace days, you know, uh, Chuck Norris days. But I think technically, uh, if you the rule set that they have, they're really good. Right on. Um, and yeah, Hanchi Legacy. What, what do you think about that? Like your days tournaments versus now's. I mean, I know our last Matsumura challenge was pretty excellent, but in general. Um, what do you think the pros and cons are of the different ways of, you know, scoring and. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I would say. Um, things were more basic back in my time. We're talking about 71 around there sometime. Oh, uh, where's, you know, just hard right reverse punch front kicks, you know, reach hands roundhouse kicks sometimes wheel kicks it was like always using the best possible basic that you could some guys uh, like super footballs for instance had those abilities beyond that and that's that's sort of what makes those guys a little bit different nowadays i see these young guys from like silent tiger they just stand there as soon as you move they jump up in the air and they kick you like five or six times and and scoring places and so what's the difference to me there is uh the ring is a game you could take one or two of those kicks in the face and in the body and and still finish the guy off in a real fight so um there's the game of karate and then there's when it comes down to having the intestinal fortitude to stand and face somebody who's willing to take your life well i'm not sure that they'd be using their their fancy little kicks uh, to be kicking as opposed to be running mm -hmm. so it's a different type of development when you uh, when your martial arts comes from the inside and, and you've trained yourself so many ways that way that you know you're willing to stand there and fight until you die it's a different completely different situation you're going for a trophy or standing there defending yourself while somebody's trying to knock your ass out uh, so uh, uh, they're both good 
but you have, people have to realize what they're doing. They are, the, the thing that breaks all that to me and which I love, people used to laugh at me back in a Bruce Lee day. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, because I took karate, they took uh, Bruce Lee and everything was great. But um, when it all comes down to it, oh, karate is better, kung fu is better, taekwondo is better. Well, here's the MMA. It allows to, no matter what you say, you step in the ring, try, try to knock the guy out. How many kung fu guys have you seen in the MMA? How many taekwondo guys have you seen in the MMA? They're karate and jujitsu guys. To me, in my own personal opinion, the arts that were brought up to this age that were the most reliable to do the best job, in my opinion. Thanks, Sanji. Not that, a, and I'll just add this for the other, not that a good Taekwondo guy and a good Kung Fu guy couldn't be good, but for some reason, it takes a bit longer to be a good Kung Fu guy. And I'm not sure about Taekwondo. Sensei Suino, I know you have a question for us before we wind up. Well, I know we're getting close to the end, <clears throat> and this is a major shift, but uh, I'd just like to hear a couple of minutes, uh, Master Kovar. Um, at one time, I was a, a big follower of some of the same folks you mentioned, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, and I learned a lot, and I thought there was a lot of comparison and contrasting with the lessons, the lessons that we learn in martial arts. I'd just love to hear kind of what your thoughts were on that topic, whether there was, uh, whether you see them in lockstep parallel, or if there's different lessons learned in the kind of personal development realm versus martial arts. What do you think about that? I think, I think inherent in martial arts training is a unique, people that do martial arts want to improve. There's a personal development component where they know it or not. That's why they're there. I mean, how many people do we all know that have no interest? They they haven't matured or grown in any way since they got out of high school or college. You know, they're just living their life. And who's to say that's a bad thing? You know, but but I know us as martial artists, we're striving always, right? And 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 then if you look at every great philosopher from any culture, from any part of time, you know, truth is truth. You know, and 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 they come out kind of the same so it's the same parallels. You know, if you look at like the you know, the five spirits of Budo and you compare that to Stephen Covey's work, there's a lot of relationships to that. You, you know what I'm saying? And and uh, and so uh, I I I found my 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 work with that all the mo you know all the personal development stuff that I did. I, I did it because I I, I wanted to. I, I had uh, I had a parent of a student. Uh, call me I trained with this gal for about this gal named Shanti trained with me for about a year in about 1980 and about 10 years later or eight years later her dad called me and they'd moved away and and he called me because he wanted to know about a martial arts school in Oregon that I could recommend and he said oh by the way that year that Shanti trained with you was the most impactful year she ever had it changed her life and I don't I'm not talking about the sidekick I'm talking about her you know her life skills and I share that with you because we all know it's to be true but back then I didn't teach any life skills I did nothing. We, we, you know, we bowed on the mat. We just, you know, eye gouge, groin kick, you know, it didn't matter the age of the kids. It was, you know, hardcore stuff. And, and, uh, and it got me thinking, man, if I was to make it a point to really stress courtesy, self-control, respect, like most Japanese and Okinawan arts were already doing, but I wasn't. 
Okay. Uh, you to the next level. That's why you know, Grandmaster Reed was such a, you know, a, an important person to me. It got me thinking. So I went out and I tried to take every one of those lessons and I wrote a bunch of, we still use them, a bunch of scripts for our kids program about, you know, good habits, good self-control, good manners, good character, you know, uh, all that stuff that, that was really strongly influenced by all those people. And we still use them to this day because especially people of all ages, but especially kids, they're like a sponge, their, their, their mind is open. And, and, you know, people remember when they're, when their head is clear, and they're paying attention, and they're emotionally engaged. And when we do our job right as instructors, we've got those kids attend undivided attention, you know, we're real life superheroes. And when we sit down, and we talk to them about the importance of self discipline and respect and trying hard and being courteous, and, and you, you tell it in form of stories, and you reinforce it with exercise on the floor, it's a whole nother level uh, of, 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 of impact that you can have. So that's been an important part of our program is trying to kind of take some of the material and make sure that we I, and then I've been training with a gentleman named Shion Mikao Nishiuchi for the last 30 years. And he's a, um, he's been my Yaido and Kabuto teacher. And he's like, a, you know, he grew up in post-World War Japan and uh, an amazing uh, guy. And, and I've learned so much, uh, you know, uh, like, like, uh, no, you know, not as much the curriculum, but, but really kind of the, the more, the, an authentic martial outlook from him. Uh, you know, about that I've also tried to do my best to integrate that back into our program to the best of our abilities in kind of a, you know, uh, in, a, in a modern way, if that makes sense. 100%. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, the first time I ever found a path of self-improvement, it was this. And then this led me to seek all those others, including like, you know, I've never met the man, but working through all that Tony Robbins stuff and and looking at Eckhart Tolle and Pima Chodron and anything I can pull in to grow that next level spiritual, that next level one day at a time, that next level whatever. And I just feel so lucky that, you know, again, Hanchi Legacy, like week one, I hear the word Zen flesh, Zen bones. And I'm like, what is that? And now I'm on a journey that includes, but isn't about punches and kicks. And, uh, it's changed my life. I, I know we have very little time. I have to brag for a minute. I was actually on stage when Tony Robbins got his black belt. There's actually a picture floating around. June Reed promoted Tony Robbins to black belt. Ernie Reyes was there and I was there. And you can see me, you see two thirds. It's kind of a where's Waldo pose picture in the background. You see most of my face, you know, but uh, anyway, so uh, that was a, uh, anyway, fun facts. Well, I, I, was so, I was so disappointed when I, I went to a Tony Robbins event in Chicago and on day one, he was talking about his life and stuff. And he said he stopped doing martial arts. Right. And I was just like, oh, come on, man. Like you had all this other stuff going on. How did you ever stop? Of course, I couldn't ask him because I was one of 3000 people in the audience. But uh, that's a cool story. I'm going to go find that picture with you in, the, in there. My one joke with Tony Robbins, because I love the work he does is on a lot of his tapes will be like, you know, I had six yachts. Now I tell you this not to impress you. And I, I had a girlfriend, I'll just be like, babe, I just won a karate tournament. Now I'm not telling this to impress you. Oh wait, that one I did tell you to impress you. That one was to impress you, babe. But I love the, the hum, he was the original humble brag on the personal power. Um, Sensei Kovar, you know, this, is, uh, this has been wonderful. The, the way we wind up our show is we go around the horn and we start with Hanji Legacy, and we just say a little bit about our time with you, and then the last word will go to you before some housekeeping. So, Hanji Legacy, what do you want to say about our time tonight? Uh, Sensei, I had a great time. I mean, this was a ground-level, no-bull 
very refreshing um, conversation so that we get to walk through the real things in martial arts that uh, uh, we don't excite ourselves out of, uh, out of shape. And um, I picked a lot of things up from it just because it was very, very, you know, it, it sort of suit everyone's martial art, what we were talking about. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to speak with you, sir. Yeah. And uh, hopefully maybe we can continue again at some other time sure. or run across that. Yes, sir. Thank You're you very my, much. My honor and privilege. Thank you very thank much. You. For um, Sensei Suino. Master Kovar, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, um, uh, your name is well known in the martial arts world. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard your name and I've come across some of your materials over the years. It's a real delight to be able to put together a real person with all the things I've heard and read uh, and find at the core of it. You really are a martial artist that I value more than anything. And uh, I like the fact that you and I are kind of in the same battle or the same uh, stage of life, trying to extend this game as long as we can, get a little bit more training out of it and have as much joy. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Hope we get a chance to talk again. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sensei Sweeno. Sensei Dolphin? Yeah, so Sensei Kovar, I just want to say you, I muted Sensei Legacy in a, a couple of times and you saw us chatting. One of our really good friends, Sensei Copeland, sent a couple messages in. He said, uh, made me feel really good. He said, Randy, you look like the younger version of Sense of Legacy because we're sitting here right now together side by side with the same shirts on. And then if you don't know him, he said, imagine if I was sitting between you guys behind you, it'd be like a reverse Oreo cookie. <laughs> right? And uh, so if you know Sense of that's why we were kind of giggling and, and chatting. So um, it's, I love when he, he sends that stuff in, but I always write copious notes uh Sensei Kovar and you know 45 years full-time school owner Sensei he says you're a quitter in martial arts if you stop before 30 years so as a school owner you're 15 years past that right uh, I like that you said long-term success equals martial arts first passion and a lifestyle um this is really I'm gonna write this one down I'm thinking about it like you said it you can't talk yourself out of a behavior that brought you into it. I like that. Like, I think a lot of people do that. They rationalize themselves out of something or rationalize themselves into why they're in a situation. And it, it's a behavior that brought you there. You got to stop the behavior. So um, we asked about advice, product, number one. Number two, hard work, right? Like, I like that you, you got to have a product and then you got to work hard. Um I also like that you talked about the, I think it's something people don't think about much anymore, supply and demand. In the 70s, there was a lot of demand and not much supply. And now we got a lot of demand, but it's a broad spectrum of supply. And we got to, the good martial artists have to push themselves up and demonstrate that their product is better. Um, ethical business, you never do hard sales. You know, what, I don't even like to talk to people about price when they come in. I like them to come in and I just say, look, just try it out for two, three weeks. Like, just come on in here and see if you like it. And what are you trying to get? So I like that. Don't do hard sales. Charge a fair price. Focus on retention. I was just talking about this before. Like, I love the people that I have and I want to keep them. 
right? Not at the expense of new people coming in. I'd rather keep the four or five that I really love that are invested in it than gain 20 that are going to be gone in a year. So um, it was nice to hear that. Be genuine. Um, and you don't have to be slick. I've known a lot of slick karate teachers here. Are like they've got this used car salesman. You don't have any of that. And you're a very successful business person. Um, I like that you said, I didn't find martial arts. Martial arts found me. I think all of us will nod our head that, you know, martial arts found us. It was a calling. And I can tell that it's a calling for you. Um, because you painted houses by day and then you taught karate by night. That's we all had to be in those places, right? Sure. Uh, Shuriha, you talked about that. I think that's really good. And your connection with your first instructor that resonates with me. Um, I I think it's interesting that nobody's talked about this, but it's a truism: is the movie era and the eras and how those have all impacted our dojos. You talked about the '70s and the Bruce Lee areas and the '80s and Karate Kid and the '90s and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how UFC, even though that's not a movie and it kind of was, right? Like how that impacted all of us, right? Um, when Sensei Copeland asked about your great memories. You remember the dates because of the way it, it was important to you and how it made you feel, right? I agree with that too. Um, 10 questions, effective move. You're the first person to say a kind word. Uh, influential of all time. You said Bruce Lee, which is the same sense of legacy. We were chatting about that too. Um, God, you said welcome. That's what sense of legacy said as well <laughs> when he was on. Um that whole discussion about your next five years making peace with your age, for me, that was good to hear. I know we're all kind of in that in that realm now. Um, you said Bruce Lee, Jet Lee, Jackie Chan. We all love those guys. Um, Sensei Mustard, Rob Mustard, will be upstairs shortly. He said the same answer as you. Who could you train with? He said Miyamoto Musashi as well. That really resonates with me. Um, and sense legacy, when you said greatest benefit, confidence. That's what sense legacy. And uh, then you also said, I don't do sidekicks for fitness anymore. I do fitness so I can throw more sidekicks. <laughs> I love that shift. That's 100%. People are like, why do you work out so much, Randy? I just want to do martial arts for as long as I can at the highest level possible. And I know fitness is going to help me with that. Um, and when we were muted, I looked at sense legacy and I said, I really like Sensei Kovart. He's a genuine person and he's really honest. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, this time flew by and I really hope we can, uh, I hope if I'm in Sacramento, I can come and bang on your door and have a coffee. Of course. It's be my honor. Enjoy the time. Absolutely. Thank you for the feedback. You seriously took some good notes. <laughs> um, Sensei, I just want to add, you know, I wrote down a kind word as well. You know, I've gotten out of, almost all my altercations with just presence and a kind word um the other thing you know you said take care of the days and the years take care of themselves in my world truer words have never been spoken i can't make a plan for next year that will look even remotely the way i think today but i can probably make tomorrow pretty close to what i think it'll be and execute something that'll be helpful and useful. We have a saying in car racing, take care of the grams and the pounds will take care of themselves. And when you said that, that re really resonated. And lastly, you know, I love how much of a fan you are of these people. Like, 
you know, Sensei Suino said your name rings out. But when you talk about these people, you're like an actor who doesn't know they're famous meeting another famous actor. And it's it's really lovely to see the joy you have at having met these martial artists, even while you're one of them who belongs in that room or that car. And, and I just I personally love that. I never want to lose that. And I like that you haven't either. Um, is there anything you want to say to go out on? You know, it's been a great fun, guys, really. What's what's funner than, you know, you've been to tell your story with talking with cool guys that love martial arts. That's as good as it gets, you know. Uh, I, I would I would say kind of my take on things is is I, I met, uh, there's a gentleman, Grandmaster James Matosi, and Grandmaster Matosi was Ed Parker's instructor's instructor. And he actually died in Folsom Prison. And uh, I had a chance, and it's another story for another day. He's a very controversial figure, a figure in Kempo worlds, right? And he had a first one of the first schools, the official self-defense club in, in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1945 to 48 or something like that. And anyway, I got a chance to meet him when I was... Uh, uh, like 19, I used to go visit him. I probably saw 20. I actually have a black belt diploma from him. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I was at the right place at the right time. And 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 I, I ended up with a black belt diploma from him, which nobody has. But here's my point. He told me something. I used to go visit him and he was at cross between uh, whatever his record was. I'm going to take that off the table for another discussion. He was a cross between Yoda and Mr. Miyagi. Okay. <laughs> and, and uh, I would go there and I'd ask really important questions that 19 year olds would ask. What's better, a front kick or a side kick? And when I do a fist, should I hold my finger like this or like that? You know, all these kind of stuff. Right. And he would kind of shake his head and he would give me the answer. But then he would say, you know, Dave, it's, you know, that's fine. But true self defense is defending yourself, not just about that. You know, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was defending yourself against sickness, injury, apathy bad attitude yours and others you know and and not just the bad guy and i didn't really understand it when i was 19 but i've come to really appreciate it and and i kind of feel like uh you know it's great to be able to you know what's the best knife defense i don't know the best knife defense is not to go to the bar that night that's probably the best knife defense right but how many people are concerned about about you know the, the most lethal technique and i get it man i want my stuff to be good guys don't get me wrong i, I want my stuff to be good and i want to be able to defend my family if i need to but I also know I'm probably not going to die in a back alley knife fight. I'm probably going to die because I abused my body in a way that I could have avoided. You know, you know what I mean? By taking better care of myself. And I, I really feel like that's the message that 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 I want to try to relate, uh, you know, to to the, my my students, you know, and, and, and my family is, yeah, man, hit and kick hard, train hard, you know, be ready to go. But man, you know, do, you know, take, you know, be in control, you know, you know, take your weather with you. You know what I'm saying? Don't let the weather outside determine your outlook and do everything in your powers to, you know, treat, you know, I have a mantra. I take, I, I take great care of myself because the world needs me at my best. If I want to be good for my family and for my community and my students, I need to be taking care of myself first and I need to be looking out for that, you know? And, and so that's, I think, as I mature as a martial artist, that becomes more and more important. Is it, is it doing my best to kind of live the lifestyle, you know, uh, and and really uh, be as genuine as I possibly can be, and and uh, and and I, I think that's the best self defense. Thank you so much for that. What an incredible button! I just want to say uh, before I throw it to Sensei Dolphin for next week, I'm just going to say thanks to Mike Russell, Justin Shea, Andre Sadashev, Robert Schlumsky, Jesse Blavitao, Alden Adair, Sydney Dolphin, Josh Kitchens, and Christiana Lando for their help behind the scenes with the show. I did uh, not read those names out last week, so I wanted to make sure I got to it. And Sensei Dolphin, what do we got coming up? What we got coming up is tomorrow and the next four days since Sensei. We're in these shirts. If 
on the back of Sensei Legacy shirt, you'll see there it is. Yeah, we can see it, Sensei. Whistler Camp, uh, BC. We do a camp out here. We do a camp in Ontario. This one's the biggest one we've ever done in BC. We have almost 40 people coming to this camp to go up. And when I say 40 people, it's like an inner organization uh, camp, mostly brown and black belts. It's going to be really good, high-level training, good connections. Um, I'm back in the Rocky Mountains. Four days ago, I was in the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming with Sensuino. It's weird how life brings you. Like, now I'm in the Rocky Mountains with Sensei Legacy. So, like, all within, like, a week and a half. So, I just want to vomit that out to everybody. But the things that are coming up, I just want to go into the next couple of weeks. Got a host chat coming up. I love the host chats. Uh, for me, they give me a lot of energy when we all get to connect, the four of us get to connect and chat. So I'm looking forward to that. And reminding people that sign on, anybody, former guests, whoever, you want to sign on, ask a question, get the camera on, have a little conversation with us. Like, we really love that too. Um, and then after that, we have one of the Northern Karate School's directors, uh, Tony La Silva, who since Sweeno and I were just in his dojo, beautiful dojo. Um, he's one of the uh, big time directors in Northern Karate School under Hunchy Cesar Burkowski. Been with him for decades, spawned like thousands of black belts. Really excited to be chatting with him. He's a really nice person um, and a really great martial artist. So that's what we got coming up in the next couple of weeks, Sean. Thanks so much, Sensei Dofan. What an incredible night. What an incredible, uh, you know, evening for us all spread out across the country and the continent. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week for our host chat and be safe till then. Thank you, thanks, Sensei. everybody. Thanks, Master Kovar. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.